Chapters nine and ten of the interrupted kiss by Richard Marsh. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter nine. The Reverend Mr. Mingus. Her first impression was that the footsteps belonged to Rupert Earle, who, in spite of her prohibition, had returned. But the voice which presently addressed her from the top of the bank on the other side of the little dell made it clear that in so thinking she was mistaken. Good afternoon, Miss Graham the speaker's appearance as glancing up she saw him standing with a straw hat in one hand and a thick stick in the other seemed to surprise her even more than mr earle's would have done he was a short cobbly built person who although he was possibly somewhere in the thirties had about him an indefinable air of youth which made him look almost as if he were a boy and would probably keep him looking like a boy for many a year to come his costume was of such a nondescript sort that it was only after careful consideration that one arrived at the conclusion that he might be a parson as a matter of fact his style and title was the rev peter mingus and he was the local vicar peter mingus was not only elsie graham's one friend in that countryside she was inclined sometimes to believe that he was the only real friend she had in the world there was no one she would have sooner seen yet she would prefer that he should have kept away from the dell just then her thoughts were of the hollow in the oak she cast about in her mind how she could dismiss him quickest and so return to an examination of its contents perhaps he was but strolling through the woods and had only stopped to exchange with her a sentence or two in that case her task might be easy his next remark however made it clear that it would not be so easy as she had hoped i hope i'm not intruding on my lady's bower the truth is i came to look for you and just now i heard you talking to someone else so i went on hoping that when i returned i should find you alone and i have which shows that i'm in luck with your permission i'll sit down without waiting for her permission to be accorded he did sit down on a little hummock which served him very well as a seat he laid his straw hat on the grass at his side holding his stick with both hands he looked across the top of it at her she was thinking of what he had said that he had heard her talking to someone else that someone else could only have been rupert earle she wondered what part of their conversation if any had reached his ears they had not been talking very gently he might have heard something which they would very much rather he had not heard at the thought something began fluttering again in her breast yet she did not dare to put to him a direct question neither his words nor his manner suggested that he had been the involuntary recipient of any damaging confidences perhaps beyond the fact that someone was talking to her he had heard nothing at all you and i have been very good friends miss graham haven't we very she spoke meekly although she gladly admitted their friendship she did wish he would go away what could he have to say at such an inconvenient moment with the mystery of those papers in the hollow just above her head waiting to be solved therefore miss graham i need not tell you that not only am i no diplomatist but what my capacity to say a thing just as it ought to be said is not to be relied upon so if some of the things i'm going to say to you might to put it mildly be expressed differently you'll know it's just because of my awkwardness and stupidity because if i could i'd say everything just exactly as you'd like me to say it but i can't in spite of herself she smiled his modes of speech were certainly his own though she had grown to like them none the less on that account but just then she would have so much preferred his absence to his company that she as nearly as possible told him so i'm sure mr mingus that you've always been much kinder to me than i deserved but i've rather a headache 
if what you have to say to me isn't very pressing would you mind saying it another time she could hardly have spoken much plainer yet it had not been plain enough for him that's all right i won't hurt your headache the truth is miss graham that postponing what i have to say will do me much more injury than saying it will do you so if you don't very much mind i'll get it over then it'll be done with what could she say she leaned on her elbow and sighed the mystery of the hollow certainly could not be solved till mr minnes had taken himself away probably he wished to discuss with her some thorny point in parochial politics some of the local tropics were thorny ones yet his preliminary remarks did not seem to have any particular bearing on parochial matters ever since you came to this part of the world miss graham you have been my right-hand man you'll excuse the confusion of sexes but you know what i mean it is the simple literal truth that i do not know what i should have done without you you have had your sister mr menius my sister laura yes just so laura has been invaluable in her own way invaluable but at the same time laura has not been to me what you have been that was hardly to be expected was it i am not your sister no thank heaven i beg your pardon then you've had the curate the curate exactly beyond a doubt i've had the curate mr pattison is an excellent young man a model young man indeed i am sometimes led to wonder if he is not almost too model a young man for me when occasionally i am alone with mr pattison and he looks at me as he has a way of doing i am inclined to ask myself if something has gone wrong with the scheme of creation and if he ought not to be the vicar and i the curate there is in that in his manner which suggests that he is so very much my senior and superior he paused and again in spite of herself miss graham smiled turning his stick upside down the vicar waved the point in the air you know miss graham strictly between ourselves i sometimes wonder if i was ever built for a parson you needn't you make an excellent vicar though it seems impertinent of me to tell you so on the contrary it's very good of you to say so it's not what i say it's what everyone says then it's very good of everyone but i have still my doubts look at pattison there's your ideal parson what a vicar he'd make i'd rather have you perhaps you would but i am not sure there seemed to be a significance in the way which he stopped in the middle of the sentence which caused the girl to avert her face there was an expression on his face which made it appear more boyish still he went on you see it's this way nowadays a parson ought to take up some definite line he ought to be a teetotaler or an anti-smoker or a vegetarian or a socialist or a high churchman something up to date now pattison's all these things and i'm not one of them you're none the worse on that account not as a man but as a parson i think i am i'm too fond of the things of this world of life why to me living is in itself a joy so it ought to be pattison doesn't think so you should have heard him talking only last night about the mystic sufferings of the saints and martyrs how we ought to nail ourselves to the crosses which they fashioned for us that like them we might be an example to the world now i never could do that there's nothing of the saint and martyr about me dropping his stick and rising to his feet mr menius began to talk about the dell do you know that i often feel that i'd like to own a racehorse one if not two 
now a parson has no right to harbour a feeling of that sort it is perhaps a little unusual pattison would want to unfrock me if he knew then again i sometimes think what fun it would be to put say two hundred pounds in my pocket and go to monte carlo and have you know a little flutter it's not a word i ought to use but i've heard other people use it and it expresses just what i mean isn't that monstrous that a vicar of a parish should want to gamble i believe that if pattison knew he'd report me to the bishop miss graham said nothing as looking down she twisted the grasses with her fingers it seemed to her that there was a humorous side to the vicar's confessions of which he was unconscious the truth is the living was my father's he thought it too good a thing to go out of the family put me into the church made me his curate and in due time i succeeded he was not a poor man for a parson what he had was divided between laura and me then an uncle died who had invented a new sort of glue and who left me quite a quantity of money so that now i am not a poor man judged by any standard to a man of my temperament that makes my position so difficult if i had to live on what the living produces having to cut my coat according to the cloth might make of me a model parson in time narrow means might have the effect on me of a hair-shirt but it does seem to me with my taste to be almost a tragedy that because i am a parson i should not be able to take advantage of the ample means i actually have the rev peter minyas was getting so warm that he began to pound the open palm of his left hand with his clenched right fist you say why don't you devote your money to some deserving object or give it to some great charity if i were a socialist i might as it is i doubt if any charity that ever was does good to the extent of a shilling in every subscribed pound you say that's something maybe but unfortunately i'm so constituted that the idea of throwing away at least ninety per cent of my money is not a proposition which commends itself to me pattison could do it and be happy any model parson could but i'm not a model parson as if he had had enough of pounding himself thrusting his hands into his jacket pockets he returned to striding to and fro talking of devoting my money to a deserving object i don't say it in a boastful spirit but i do believe i am as deserving an object as most of the men i come across or women either i've been spending money on what i don't like all my life i should like to spend some on what i do like some of my own money i should be almost willing to make a bargain if i can spend ten shillings of each of my sovereigns on what i do like i'll give the other ten shillings to any charity which an authority on charities say pattison likes to name but i can't even make that bargain my cloth forbids i'm passionately fond of yachting i never have done any but i feel sure i should be i should like to spend some of my money in building myself a yacht i should like to go cruising about in it during a considerable portion of the year but how's a vicar to do his duty to his parish if he spends an appreciable part of his time on his yacht you see how it is with me i think i do and i think i can honestly say that you have my sympathy i knew i should have i was sure of it you're the only woman i ever met who i felt could sympathize with me the average woman's idea of what a parson ought to be makes me feel that either she's a perfect fool or that i'm the meanest man alive and that's one of the reasons why i came to look for you in what i've heard you say was your favorite spot in the woods i wanted to make it clear to you what manner of man i am before telling you what a favor and honor you will do me and how happy you will make me 
if you will be my wife the climax was sudden for some minutes she had a vague notion that he might be approaching a subject of which she had never dreamed in connection with him but he had got to it so suddenly that when he stopped she could only stare at him in startled wonder he presently made it plain that he himself was conscious that his methods were a trifle abrupt of course i know that that isn't how i ought to have put it i warned you that some of the things i had to say to you might with advantage be differently expressed and that's one of them i suppose that from the conventional point of view i ought to have led up to the subject by telling you that i love you but i'm not sure that that is how i see it i take it for granted that you know me well enough to be aware that i shouldn't ask you to be my wife unless i wanted you very badly i do i want you to be my wife on every account badly so badly that i've a sort of conviction that if you'll consent to be my wife my life will turn out to be a success after all while if you won't consent i'm afraid to think of how it may turn out i'm positively afraid she now having collected some of the senses which she had scattered was sitting up and staring at him with eyes in which as thoughts chased each other through her head lights and shadows seemed to go in a fashion she had no notion of that's absurd conceded yet it's true what can you possibly see in me that you should want me to be your wife he drew a long breath if i were to start telling you all i do see in you i should want more words than are in my dictionary and more breath than i'm endowed with then you can't know anything at all about me i've known you for two years unbroken years i've watched you listened to you heard of you until if i weren't a parson i'd wager a trifle that i know you as well as a man may know a woman who is not his wife then how can you suppose that i'm fitted to be a vicar's wife suddenly he plumped down cross-legged on the broken ground within a few feet of where she sat that's the point the thing which has yet to be learnt i'll tell you what i propose to do when we are married when we are married there was such an accent on her when exactly i said when we are married yes but you spoke of it as if it were a probable event don't he put up his hands to smooth his hair good then i'll try not to i'll put it this way i'll tell you what i propose we should do if we are married i propose that you should commence by finding out from actual experience if you are really suited to be a vicar's wife it's a moot point which only actual experience can decide if you do turn out to be suited to be a vicar's wife i've no doubt whatever that you'll turn me out a model parson i turn you out a model parson what nonsense are you talking i'm talking sense your becoming my wife will have the result of bringing out the best that is in me you know how they treat ore they associate it with something which induces the worthless dross to take itself off leaving the true metal behind that's the effect your becoming my wife will have on me i'll be refined suppose on the other hand you find that you are not suited to be a vicar's wife very well i've just been trying to tell you that i'm by no means sure that i'm suited to be a vicar nothing could be simpler we'll resign both of us the living's mine in my gift i'll present pattison now there will be your model vicar if he doesn't turn the parish upside down inside twelve months as it seems a modern up-to-date parson ought to do i'm a dutchman either way nothing could be better 
with your help i shall be arrived at a clear understanding of where i am without your help as i've said i don't know where i shall arrive i'm afraid to think of it your remarks are so extraordinary that i hardly know how to characterize them are you aware that i'm literally penniless that my uncle left me nothing i've heard that the will by which he left you practically everything has not been found and i hope it won't be that's very kind of you i hope it for two reasons the first is a selfish one i want you and you alone i don't want money-bags i've enough for both of us then i'm old-fashioned that's one reason why i can't be an up-to-date parson i'm given to understand that mr culver made his money in ways which were more than dubious we don't want ill-gotten gold you and i that's the sort of stuff that is best given to charities that remark shows that you have some dim appreciation of the fact that i come from a thoroughly bad stock john culver wasn't your father and he wasn't your mother either don't tell me that your father and mother weren't of the salt of the earth or they wouldn't have had such a daughter my father was certainly an honest man and my mother something came into her eyes which softened them i wish you had known my mother i wish i had they were like sweethearts till my father died then my mother couldn't live without him even for my sake but my father didn't make any money or i shouldn't be here then i'm glad he didn't honest men don't make money only thieves believing that how can i stand in the pulpit and pretend that real religion pays when i know it doesn't to that extent i am a socialist think of the cloud which is at the present moment hovering over timberham of the scandal which will attach to you if you marry a girl coming from such a house one who is in the witness-box has had things dragged out of her which have made her name a byword who will almost certainly have to go there again and-and be shamed still more if she does have to go into the witness-box again i hope she'll go there as my wife it is in great measure that hope which has brought me here this afternoon miss graham was silent she contemplated the rev peter minyas as if she were appraising him on some standard of her own when she spoke again it was to ask a question do you know that they have found walter palgrave who is an acquaintance of mine guilty of-you know what i was present in the court when the verdict was given i came straight from there to you feeling that this may be a time in which you are almost as much in need as i am her glance fell she was more moved by his words and manner than she would have cared to own he was not a romantic-looking person he had even a curiously unromantic trick of translating his thoughts into commonplace words yet he inspired her with a comfortable consciousness that if she chose she would find in him a very true friend in time of trouble an odd problem flitted across her mind she loved the one man and always would but might she not be happy with this other man whom she only liked the solution to all her troubles might lie there the reverend peter's wife whether he continued reverend or not could hardly be a miserable woman she spoke more gently than she had done hitherto i am very much obliged to you mr minyas for the offer you have made me and flattered and even honoured you and i have been such good friends that it-it is rather sweet to have this fresh token of your friendship but-he stopped her i know what you are going to say don't say it i have a better idea of how matters really stand with you than you perhaps imagine i did not come here this afternoon expecting that you would consent to be my wife i had no such delightful anticipation i am only too well aware of my own disqualifications 
please do not say such silly things he went on apparently heedless of the words she murmured as she still looked down i came rather to prepare your mind as it were to clear the ground i wanted to be quite plain with you so that you might at least understand me just think over what i've said i know that i'm not good-looking that i'm stupid awkward gauche that i've nothing to commend me to the most beautiful most graceful most charming wittiest cleverest tenderest bravest girl in the world is that string of epithets meant to apply to me it is it represents the honest and well-considered opinion which i have formed after two years acquaintance with miss elsie graham and nothing which you or any one else can say will cause me to subtract from it one jot or tittle whatever the future may have in store for me one flattering unction i may lay to my soul that i have at least had the happiness to know a woman who to my thinking combined in her own dear person all that a woman ought to be note my words you'll find that they represent less than half of what i'll feel on that same subject in twenty years time if i weren't a parson i'd bet on it he put on his hat and picked up his stick i've had my say when you've an odd moment to spare put on your thinking cap and consider my words one day i'll ask you for your decision in the meanwhile should you stand in need of any of those many services which one friend may render to another i entreat you not to forget that you have a friend who'll be made a very happy man if you'll suffer him to render them without expectation of fee or recompense without any attempt at a formal adieu he left her sitting in the dell chapter ten the woman who worked that was the second she had sent away two wooers in a single afternoon what a difference between the men and their methods the one had moved her to the very depths of her being she could not think of him without a tremor which was part rapture part pain the other he had roused in her a sufficiently quaint suspicion that he might not be at all an uncomfortable person for a woman to go through life with a woman that is whose ideal was not too high up among the stars perhaps it were wisdom to prefer him to the other if one's ecstasies were fewer one's peace of mind might be more enduring quite an appreciable space of time passed before the lady's thoughts strayed from her strongly contrasted lovers to the hollow in the tree it was with a sense of shock that she realized how much the rev peter minyas had occupied her mind she had not supposed that he could have caused her to become so completely oblivious of her astonishing discovery as it came back to her she rose to her knees with a start the expression almost of amusement which had been on her features vanished in a flash the strained look returned to her eyes that suggestion they had lately conveyed that she was in continual expectation of she herself knew scarcely what standing up she glanced about her listening mr menus's steps had died away she was alone again and all was still it was only when she was convinced of this that she gave her attention again to the tree parting the foliage as before with her hands and peering into the hollow beyond she took out the envelope which she had had in her hand when she had been startled by the sound of the vicar's approaching footsteps furtively as if she were not only ashamed of what she was doing but as if she were afraid that at any moment she might be interrupted she deciphered what was scrawled upon it although it occupied nearly half the length of the envelope there were only two words and they short ones my will it was a statement in old john culver's hieroglyphical handwriting of what the envelope contained his will the flap was unfastened 
it was a large envelope but it was well filled she could see when she raised the flap that the document within was a bulky one possibly nay probably it was the will to which mr lazarus had referred which had been drawn up by messrs Miram and kirby which mr culver was presumed to have had in safe keeping at timberham but which up to that moment had not been found the will which gave clare harmar only a pittance the will which peter menyus had hoped would not be found if that were so then instead of being penniless she was practically a millionaire certainly the possessor of more money than she would ever know what to do with the inheritor of john culver's ill-gotten gains what had mr lazarus said would happen to a person who destroyed a will what did it matter to her what happened if she destroyed that will who would be the wiser who would ever know what she had done two considerations kept her from tearing up the envelope and its contents then and there in the first place it might be as well to make sure what it was she was destroying to be quite clear what the envelope really did contain it might be awkward if too late she were to discover that it was not that will she had made an end of from every point of view she would have made bad worse instead of better then in the second place before she took it for granted that what she did would never become known it might be just as well to have some idea of how the envelope came to be where it was it was conceivable that it had been put in such a very unlikely spot by some person with deliberate intent in that case if she were to make away with it it would be missed and she might be suspected if she were questioned it might not be nice for her how did the envelope get into what she had always considered to be her tree a clue to the riddle might be found if she were to examine the other papers which had got there also slipping the envelope into her blouse she returned to the hollow she took out bundle after bundle of parchments old and new all tied round with pink tape bearing in crabbed legal handwritings endorsements which from the little she could make out of them from the hasty glance she gave them conveyed to her no meaning at all she surmised that they might be title-deeds of some estate or estates it was only when she got to another envelope which was under everything else that it dawned upon her what the whole thing might mean this envelope like the one she had between the buttons of her blouse was big and bulky bigger and bulkier than that one like it also something was scrawled across it in her uncle's handwriting walter palgrave various it was when she made out those three words that she began dimly to understand while she was trying to dissolve the mental mists through which she saw the answer to the puzzle vaguely as in a haze a voice addressed her from just behind her back excuse me but might i ask what you happen to be up to there had the voice been that of some spectral visitant it could hardly have taken her more by surprise not a sound had disturbed the silence yet when she turned there at the bottom of the slope within a foot or two of where she herself was standing was an individual who certainly did not look like one who had dropped from the skies in the shock of her amazement the papers with which her arms were filled went tumbling on to the ground before the last of them had reached the earth the stranger had darted at them as some wild creature might spring at its prey thank you unless i'm wrong that little lot is just what i've come here to get ere miss graham had fully realized what was happening the woman the stranger was a woman was cramming the various packages into a leather bag which she had opened before her on the grass recovering herself with an effort she made a not unnecessary inquiry into the meaning of the other's proceedings who are you and what are you doing with those papers instead of answering the woman put a question on her own account 
would you mind looking to see if there's anything else inside that tree you're taller than i am it's a bit beyond my reach what seemed to her to be the impudence of the request moved miss graham to action stooping with one hand she caught hold of the stranger's bag and with the other of such of the papers as had not yet gone into it before i do anything of the kind you'll be so good as to explain your presence here and what right you have to touch these papers so far from being embarrassed the stranger looked up at her with a grin at any rate i'll tell you who you are you're elsie graham miss graham looked wonderingly at the woman who was apparently familiar enough with her appearance as she looked she became conscious of a feeling that this was not the first time she had seen the stranger i believe i have seen you somewhere before but i don't remember where i'll tell you it was at the inquest elsie echoed the other's words with a vague feeling of misgiving at the inquest don't you remember when they were cross-examining you and asking a lot of questions which you didn't want to answer about what you did and you didn't know about walter palgrave that you looked round and caught my eye and that i winked at you you looked at me two or three times again after that as if you couldn't make me out which wasn't surprising though all i meant was to give you a bit of comfort because you did look so worried the incident came back to elsie before the other had finished speaking she had wondered who the woman was and what she had meant by her familiarity she wondered still more now that she saw her there in the dell i do recollect now that you mention it but isn't there some alteration in your appearance the grin expanded disclosing a lovely set of small white even teeth ever heard of a transformation i'm better known than you perhaps think it wouldn't have suited me to advertise just then so i wore a brown transformation over this scarlet thatch wonderful what a difference a thing like that if it's well done does make in a girl it certainly had effected a striking change in her appearance elsie's memory had become quite clear that girl had had dark brown hair this one's locks were flaming red yet a close inspection convinced her that the two girls were one and the same i see now what has happened but i'm still in the dark as to who you are or what you were doing in the court and still more what you are doing here treating those papers as if they were your own the stranger seemed to hesitate then to arrive at a sudden resolution when i tell you that maybe one of these days i shall be walter palgrave's wife perhaps you'll begin to get out of the dark that miss graham looked the surprise and incredulity she felt the other's words made plain no wonder you look as if you didn't believe me i don't mind it doesn't hurt me of course i know quite well that i don't belong to the class you do and still less to the class he does the palgraves are one of the best families in the land but if you think that that sort of thing makes any difference to a man where a woman's concerned that's all you do know walter palgrave cares for me as much as he ever cared for any girl or ever will i don't want to be told it i know as for me there's nothing i care for in the world but him and he knows that there's nothing i wouldn't do for him if he asked me mind you nothing and he knows that too now do you see how it is i'm beginning to have a glimmer of light i thought you would now i'll tell you who i am i'm sally scarlet that's who i am ever heard of me elsie shook her head sure you think i'm not conscious of ever having heard of you miss scarlet seemed disappointed as if elsie's ignorance was rather a blow perhaps you don't go much to the halls what halls what halls why the music halls of course the idea of your asking what halls all of them or any of em 
i'm afraid that my opportunities in that direction have been few and far between there seemed to be something in elsie's words or manner which miss scarlett resented i don't know if that means that you think yourself above them because if so let me tell you that the halls are becoming more and more aristocratic every year and it won't be very long before the king and the royal family go to them as regularly as to the italian opera to say nothing of the theatres i assure you that my words were not meant to convey disparagement i simply made confession of my ignorance although elsie stone could hardly have been more charged with candour miss scarlett still looked as though she doubted the way you talk is a bit above my head as perhaps is your intention anyhow if you did know anything about the halls you'd have heard of sally scarlett i used to be billed as the red-headed queen of song and dance but i put a stop to that i make it a clause in my contracts that i'm to be announced as sally scarlett and sally scarlett only sally scarlett means quite enough to anyone who's seen me once again the speaker grinned elsie as she regarded the vividly radiant mass of the lady's hair inwardly agreed with her that it did i was doing the first turn at the brighton hippodrome when walter palgrave saw me first one song half a dozen steps and the curtain all inside five minutes i tell you that it's not easy under those cirques for any one to make a hit you never get half a chance to show what you can do yet he fell in love with me in those first five minutes straight he's told me so often and he's never fallen out since since that night he introduced himself to me at the brighton hippodrome no girl ever had a better pal than he has been to me though mind you since then i've gone up and he's gone down my word if you come to think of it how we have changed places she paused for a few seconds as if to consider the changes which time had wrought in those days he'd money to burn and didn't he burn it he thought no more of a fiver than i did of five pence nor as much i was averaging about two pounds a week when i was at work but as i was as often out as in i don't suppose it came to much more than fifty pounds a year but i lived on it now well i don't want to boast and i don't want to give away my private business either but i wouldn't take six thousand pounds for my contracts during the next three years and after that we'll see i'm not in my prime yet i'm improving all the while before i've done i mean to knock em you see this time miss scarlett paused with the apparent intention of giving elsie an opportunity to appreciate her future prospects it's very different with walter palgrave not only has he gone down but it looks very much as if he was going down still lower now you see what i meant when i said that maybe one day i'll be his wife when he had got the pieces of course it wasn't likely but now i've got em the situation's altered i shan't be able to keep him as he's been used to keep himself and i don't suppose i ever shall but that won't hurt him he's done himself too well but i shall be able to keep him in comfort and mind you as a gentleman ought to live so now perhaps you see why i'm after these although she did not specifically say so she apparently alluded to the bundles of papers she had been cramming into her bag i'm afraid i don't miss scarlett dropped her voice they're his title deeds and bills and things which he went off with that night the light was becoming clearer all along miss graham had had a vague perception of how matters really stood but how did they get into my tree it seems that in a way you put him on to that i did he's often spoke to me about you 
he's not everybody's money there's no need for anyone to tell me that but it's not often that he's out when he says there's good stuff in a girl and he thinks no end of you so i'll just tell you how it was it seems that one day he came with you into the woods and you showed him the tree and told him all about it miss graham knit her brow as if in perplexity i have some dim recollection of something of the kind it must have been soon after i came to england that's a long time ago perhaps but it stuck in his head you never can tell what will and what won't stick in people's heads it seems that's stuck in his that night he was sprung or he'd never have done a bunk there wouldn't have been half the fuss they wouldn't have pitched on him any more than on anyone else if he'd stayed in the house and gone back to bed like the others did elsie glanced apprehensively round please don't enter into particulars i'd rather you didn't right oh miss scarlet winked i'm on we don't any of us want to know more than we need i'll just tell you about the tree as you know he went off in his dinner clothes and his arms full of papers being just drunk enough to be silly somehow he found his way to this place it was moonlight and he says he knew it directly he got here though it seems a queer tale to me it had dawned upon him by that time that he couldn't go carting the papers about all over the country when he saw where he was suddenly he thought of the tree according to him so he shoves them into the hollow you'd shown him as much he says for the lark as for anything else he's got his own ideas of larks miss scarlet's tone was grim miss graham had personal knowledge of how true her statement was it happened i was putting in a week at a small hall not very far from here and i was stopping with a friend who lives a little way out of the town a farmhouse it is he knew all about it when he'd shoved the things into the tree he found his way to where i was stopping of course he didn't know which my room was but he chucked some gravel at one of the windows on the off chance that it might be mine and luckily for him it was you can fancy what my feelings were when i was woke out of sleep with a jump and hearing something hit the window looked out and saw him down below in his dinner clothes somewhere about five o'clock in the morning i'd been expecting for some time that he would get himself into trouble before long and pretty soon i learnt he'd got there however i made him snug and i've managed to keep him snug ever since as you don't want to know too much that's all you need to know this observation was accompanied by a grin which hinted that she might have made some curious additions to elsie's stock of knowledge had she chosen ever since i found out what the trouble really was he'd got himself into i've had a time i tell you but has he told you everything there was a significance in the question which the other was quick to grasp again she winked it seemed to be a favourite trick of hers my dear excuse me calling you my dear but you know what i mean don't let us ask each other too many questions as i said just now we don't either of us want to know too much have you heard that that coroner's lot have brought it in against him elsie intimated that she had she wondered with a little shiver how often she was to be informed of the fact i hear that there's talk of a reward being offered so it looks as if things were going to be lively i thought that before the country got too hot i'd do what he wanted me and get the things out of his precious tree i don't mind owning that i half believed he'd been telling the tale about that three till i saw you just now standing up there with your arms full of papers then i knew that he couldn't have been so drunk as i thought and i understood that you'd probably come upon them unexpected you were quite right i had now you see how matters really stand none of these papers are yours 
so far as i am aware not one of them then that being so you'll have no objection to my taking them to him elsie making no reply miss scarlett apparently taking her silence to imply consent continued to cram the remaining papers into her leather bag just as she had got the last one in and was about to close it she looked round with a start what's that all at once a man's head appeared over the top of a branch of tall bracken which was on one side of the dell he addressed them in a tone which although it did not rise above a whisper yet had a curiously penetrating power pardon me ladies but if you'll take my tip and don't want to be asked any awkward questions you'll get under cover as fast as ever you can there are a couple of coppers coming through the wood who are up to no good you may be sure and they're right on us the head vanished as suddenly as it had appeared where its owner had taken himself off to from where they were it was not easy to determine miss scarlett looked at elsie with startled eyes coppers coming through the wood she paused to listen heavy footsteps were distinctly audible here they are if they find me with this bag the sentence was left unfinished elsie taking her by the wrist drew her quickly up the slope to the other side of the tree she spoke in a whisper here's a place out of which i think they once took gravel it's shallow but now that the bracken's out all round the edge it's deep enough to hide us if we stoop down low End of chapters nine and ten